I was trying to chill out. But God, but God, looked all over. Beloved, to the one who's looking, you ain't got to keep looking. You ain't got to keep looking. God is right there in front of your face saying, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Saying, I know you're tired. I know you're weary. Come, come to me. I'm able to give you rest. He's a load bearer. He's a refuge. He's a help. It's a way out of no way. Ah. From the top to the bottom. We started off just blessing his name. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Nobody greater. How great is our God. Amen. 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 Before his Baptist, it is good to be with you and to all of our guests and visitors. I'd like to welcome you to the church gathered at Forbes, where we believe that Jesus is the center. And our prayer is that Jesus, you be the center of this church. You be the center of our lives. Pray that would be your desire as well as we have gathered not to just go to church. I don't know, if you came just to go to church, you're in the wrong place. Because we've come to worship the Most High God, and we're gathered together corporately to express our praises to the one and the only one who is worthy to be praised. Amen. To all of our veterans, we'd like to say thank you on this Veterans Day for all of our, those who have been in the armed services. You ain't got to stand, just wave your hand and let us recognize you. Amen. Amen. Beloved, won't, well, I won't lie to you. I'll, we'll try not to tarry long over the text this morning, but let's see what the Lord has in store. Uh, we've been in this third chapter of Matthew's gospel for the last couple of weeks, focusing on God's last prophet, John the Baptist. Scripture had prophesied that one would come. For the great and awesome day of the Lord preparing the people to meet Jesus. And here he is. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. And we will be looking at verses 13 through 17. Matthew, the third chapter, verses 13 through 17. And Iris, our, our custom, if you would please stand out of reverence and honor of the reading of God's word. 
This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The subject of our text this morning, identified by God. Identified by God. If you would pray with me. Oh, Lord and God, we have come acknowledging that there is none greater. But, Father, you know our roaming. You know we have searched and we have looked. But Father, even in our brokenness, we're so glad that you came running, pursuing us, and revealing to us that there's no one greater than you. So Father, I ask that you would have your way in this place this morning and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Like Lydia, would you please open our eyes to the scriptures? That we would know, love, and trust you. Father God, you have promised that you would send us a helper. Who would convict us of our sin and guide us into all righteousness and remind us of the judgment to come. May you do so today. Father, may you open blind eyes and open deaf ears and soften hard hearts who have never experienced your presence before. Father, may they do so today because you're here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would please take my weak and foolish words and that you would glorify Christ Jesus. That as Christ is lifted up, that you would please draw men, women, boys and girls unto thy throne this morning. And Father, may we be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. These things we ask in the matchless and mighty and magnificent name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Now, my beloved, even before I ask this question, I just want to remind you that this is a safe place. We won't tell on you. We won't snitch. What happens at Forest Baptist Church stays at Forest Baptist Church. But, beloved, this morning I want you to consider and remember, did you ever have a fake ID growing up? Uh-oh. Did you ever find yourself making a fake ID so you can walk around acting like you somebody you ain't? Beloved, I remember when I was a freshman in, in college and I, when I first made my, my first fake ID. 
Lord help me. I'm glad he brought me a, brought me a mighty long way. And, and I, I, I remember having an old picture that, that I thought would work well, and I, and I just cut it out, went to, uh, uh, to Walmart and, and got some cardstock, and I, the, the right consistency, the right thickness. Uh, and I started fooling around with computers. See, some folks just don't need to be on computers, some stuff that you can do. And I remember typing up uh, a, a fake student ID with my, my, birth, my, uh, my birth date and all of that stuff. And then I went and got some uh, uh, lamination paper. Sticking it all together and I didn't just cut it. I went and got one of those X-Acto knives and I made sure the, the ends was round. And I, and I ain't, don't, don't pick this up. <laughs> don't leave here. Picking this up, but, but I remember making this fake ID and cutting it out and showing it to all my friends and, 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 and plotting about all the fun that I quote-unquote was about to have. What's the purpose of a fake ID? You and I know that fake, RD, fake IDs are used to, to gain access to places where you really don't belong. Fake IDs provide opportunities to purchase things that you shouldn't be allowed to purchase. And whenever you make use of a fake ID, you, you, know, you get that nervousness inside of you and, and you're wondering, will you be caught? Your heart begins to, to race and your palms become a little sweaty and, and you're hoping, you're hoping that they won't notice that it's a fake. Uh, you may not have went through all the trouble that I did to make a fake ID. Maybe you just called your cousin and say, can I borrow your ID tonight? Hoping that they really didn't look close at the picture. But beloved, we, we have those times in our lives where we, we use these fake IDs. And for your consideration this morning, beloved, I, I want you to be careful. Uh, and, and, and I want you to be mindful that that you're not holding a fake ID in your attempt to gain access to God. A spiritual front, a, a fabrication of the truth. My prayer is that you are not walking in and out of the church, acting as if you belong and have access to God, knowing that you're really just faking it to make it. See, but instead of having a, a spare picture, some cardstock, or some lamination paper, you may have put together your church attendance, some good behavior, and a few amens, thinking that you may be able to purchase your way into eternity. See, this is the actual problem in the text before us this morning. Israel, they now possess a fake ID. They're, they're, they're believing in their Jewishness that it will grant them access to the kingdom of God. We see this in verse 9 where John the Baptist is warning the Pharisees and Sadducees and says to them, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. But he's saying, don't act like because you were born a Jew that you automatically have access. Now, I understand that, 
that the Jews were God's chosen people, but that, that does not automatically give you access to the throne room of God. As a matter of fact, sometimes the Jews thought that God needed them. He's reminding them that God really don't need you. Because God can raise up from these stones uh, people who will give him praise. And, and really what he's saying is God will raise up someone outside the camp. Someone who is a Gentile. Someone who is not uh, of the lineage of Abraham who's able to worship him. We see that God does. He's reminding them that it's not what they bring to the table that establishes their identity. But it's what God places on them. But God gives grace, right? And he sends one who has a keen eye, John the Baptist. And he begins to expose their fraudulent activity, calling Israel to turn from themselves and to turn themselves in. Turn themselves over to the Lord that he may take over fully and completely, and they will no longer rely upon their Jewishness as the identity that would give them access, but now their identity in the one who would come would be the means of their access to the kingdom of God. See, this, this ministry of John the Baptist was a preparing of the people to meet Jesus. He was making sure that that all the people had the right identification when Jesus came. And we see that those who, who came to John the Baptist, they, they came, and the Bible says, confessing their sins. And in confessing their sins, they were making the statement that they no longer belonged to themselves. They were surrendering their ethnic identity. Those who came to John the Baptist confessing their sins, they, they were making the statement that they no longer belonged to themselves and they no longer had their own identity, but they had a new identity, a heavenly identity, because now they belong to God. But then something happens, something strange happens, and we see Jesus comes from Galilee, and he, and, and he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. This, this is strange because as Jesus shows up, he's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the king to come, but yet Jesus participates in this baptism. Beloved, this, this beautiful baptism is something amazing. Because we see here in the text that Emmanuel doesn't just come to be with us, but Emmanuel identifies himself with us. And because he identifies himself with us, you and I can be identified with the righteous. Because Jesus has identified himself with sinners, you can be identified with the righteous. Beloved, as we look at the, the ministry of John the Baptist, we, we see in, in these verses, in verse 13, that, that everyone was coming out to be baptized, and then even Jesus shows up to his baptism. In verse 13, he says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John was in the business of baptism. See, until then, baptism was 
what was called a, 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 a proselyte event. Uh, in, in, in Jewish cultures and circles, those who were not born ethnic Jews, uh, it, it, they had the opportunity to gain access to the kingdom of God by circumcision and by the purification of baptism. So those Gentiles who, who, who believed that the, the, the God of Israel was the one true and living God, these God-fearers, they, they would undergo a, a proselyte baptism signifying and identifying themselves with the God of Israel. They were purifying themselves. So up till now, the, the baptism had always been something for a Gentile. So when John comes on the scene and, he's, and his message is to, to ethnic Jews, he's actually flipping the script and saying, you can't count on where you was born. You, you can't count on your mama them. You can't count on your daddy and them. Just because you've been going to the synagogue all your life, just because you grew up in the church, you can't count on that to, in order to save you. You must confess your sins, just like a Gentile. And you must trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords yourself. And we see that this radical baptism taking place. We also see that John's baptism was a baptism of immersion. Now, we can go off on a little tangent, but, but it, this wasn't a sprinkling. It wasn't throwing water on, on, on babies' faces. This was believers' baptism. This was immersion. They was going up under the water and coming out. John's baptism also was a baptism of repentance. Look at verse 13. I'm sorry, look back up. Verse 11, and John is speaking, he says, I baptize you with water for what? For repentance. In Luke, the third chapter, verse, verses 2 and 3, we see the same thing in this parallel account. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So John, he's he's. He's hanging out in the wilderness, and, and God gives him a word, and then he comes preaching. And verse 3, it says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was one. Uh, it was a, a preparatory baptism. It was preparing the people to be right in order to receive the message of the Messiah when he came. See, a lot of times when, when, when you're trying to make a change in your life, sometimes we overdo it. All of a sudden, we, 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 we decide that we're going to get in shape this year, and we get the gym membership, and we go to the gym, and we think we're going to get in shape in one day. So we try to lift all the weights. We try to do all the sit-ups, and, and, and we think we're going to come out with a, 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 a nice six-pack, uh, some toned muscles, but when we leave, we just sore. You've done nothing to actually prepare yourself for the transformation to come. And when we're coming before the Lord, you got to understand, you can't just come to God thinking that you're going to be the same person after you encounter God. You got to prepare yourself that change is about to come. That transformation is on the other side of this confession. That God is about to do a work in our lives. And before you come, you need to count the cost. 
You need to prepare by counting the cost. God requires that once he, once you have an encounter with him, you're going to be different. Something's going to be different about your life. You're not going to talk like you used to. You're not going to walk like you used to. You're going to have a, a new attitude. You're going to have to give up some things. Say no to some things. So John's baptism, he's coming and he's telling the people, prepare yourself for the Messiah. Get yourself right. You know how we used to say back in the day, get your house in order. Because God is coming. And you better be ready when Jesus comes. So we see that in this baptism of repentance, it was a preparatory baptism. But then also notice that this, this baptism of Jesus is the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's right here that we see things kick off. As, as, as we move into chapter 4, next week or maybe in the weeks to come, but we see that this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry where he would go out proclaiming the same message that John was proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But beloved, when we, when we look at John's baptism and his ministry, we have to understand that John's baptism was an identifier. It meant something. It wasn't just something you did out of, out of tradition. It, it really meant something. Look back with me in verse 6. In verse 6 of the third chapter, it says, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, Jordan doing what? Confessing their sins. Beloved, when we think about baptism, and we think about what takes place when someone goes under the water, Baptism is, it identifies the sinner. Baptism says that this person has been in rebellion against a holy and righteous God. This person has been living for their own glory and not for the glory of King Jesus. This person has been, has been doing things on their own terms, wanting to be God of their own lives instead of surrendering and submitting to God. Baptism recognizes that I'm a sinner. And beloved, the first step to transformation is understanding that you're a sinner. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sin and fall short of the glory of God. So, so when you're born, that, uh, you're born in this world a sinner. You're born in rebellion. You are actively disobeying God's guidance. You wonder why you be going off on folks. You wonder why you're so frustrated and so bitter. You wonder why you get upset over the smallest things. Beloved, the Bible gives you a, a, an anthropology of man. It tells you who we are is that we are sinners, not from the outside in. We're sinners from the inside out. It's not just your, your environment. Beloved, don't let the world make you think it's all because of you, your environment that you're sinful. You're sinful because of your internal environment. And the external environment just makes a way for your sin to hang out. So, so John coming and baptizing Israel, Israel is coming and saying, you know what? We are not walking with God. We are in rebellion to his law, to his standards. We are sinners. But not only is baptism uh, an identifier that we are sinners, baptism identifies us as confessors. Confessors. Because Though I may admit I'm a sinner, 
Though I may admit I'm a low-down, dirty dog. You know, sometimes it's easy to admit you wrong. Yeah, I ain't no good. And sometimes we, we have it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I be going off on folks. I cut them hard. They know don't play with me. Don't tell them you go to forest. But, 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 a, but baptism says, I know I'm wrong, and I'm going to turn. That's what the text says in verse 6. They came baptized, and they came confessing their sins. They saying, Lord, change me. I want to turn. No longer do I just understand that I've been living wrong, but I want to do something about it. And in our lives, beloved, that we can't just understand that we're wrong. We don't just understand that we're guilty. And we don't turn just because we get caught in our sin. We turn because we are sinning against a holy and righteous God. And we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me and help me turn? I agree with you about how you feel about sin. No longer will I believe what the world says about sin, that there are pleasures to be enjoyed, but I will believe what you say about sin, that there are dangers to steer clear of. So when someone is baptized, they're identifying themselves as a sinner. But they're also identifying themselves as a confessor. Because they understand that the Lord has brought a change within their lives. And when we look at John's baptism, it is on those terms, it is quite similar to a uh, to our to our New Testament baptism, because the John's baptism and the New Testament baptism both were a baptism of repentance and faith. Both of them were, they, they were a, 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 a change and transformation from the inside out and faith in someone other than themselves. We're not looking to ourselves, but we're looking to the one who would come. That's Israel. But for us, we're looking to Jesus Christ. But though John's baptism was similar, it was different as well. Like I said, John's baptism was the same as, same as the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament uh, saints, they, they received their righteousness by looking forward to the Messiah. Looking forward by faith that God will, would send one who would pay the price for their sin that would redeem them. But they were looking forward to the Messiah, to the anointed one coming. And, and all those that John was baptizing, they, they had that same type of Old Testament faith. But what's different in, in our faith is as uh, John's baptism looked forward, our baptism looks back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John's baptism was to make people ready for a relationship with God, whereas our New Testament Baptism makes uh, it, it helps us to recognize that we are in a relationship with God. In John's baptism, it was a, a baptism that salvation would be secured. Beloved, your and my baptism is based on the fact that our salvation was secured in Christ Jesus. But I think most of all, the greatest difference between 
John's baptism and the New Testament baptism is that John's baptism was a rain check. You ever take your coupons to the grocery store and, and they was out of what you was looking for? You was looking for it and it wasn't there. They give you a rain check. Where John's baptism was a rain check, our baptism is a receipt that we have laid hold of and taken possession. Turn with me to Acts, the 18th chapter. We'll see this difference here laid out. Acts, the 18th chapter, beginning with verse 24. And it says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Watch this. Though he knew only the baptism of John. Now go with me down to chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized what? With the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So John's baptism was pointing to the one that would come. But when Jesus came upon the scene, that one has now been identified as Christ Jesus. Verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. What's going on right here? See, the difference between John's baptism and the New Testament baptism is that when we come to Christ, when we repent and turn, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself, and dwelling his people as a receipt. Ephesians talks about uh, 1.14 that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a stamp that this person belongs to God. We're sealed until the day of redemption. So I'm not waiting for something to happen on the back end. I'm looking forward to the day on the, on the, uh, in, in eternity future where I will be able to dine with Jesus face to face. How the song saying, tell the old story of how I made it over. The key to New Testament baptism is that when one is indwelled with the Holy Spirit, opening up their eyes to sin, and they repent and they turn, they then partake in believer's baptism. They then, at that point, identify with Jesus that he is Lord. They are no longer ashamed, and, and, and what we see taking place is an external confession and profession that Jesus is Lord, that we have been buried with him in the likeness of death and raised to walk in the newness of life. And that newness comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
If that's the case, if that is what John's baptism is all about, then something strange is going on right here. See, there's another difference in John's baptism, and it's centered around the question, if baptism identifies the sinner and the confessor, then why would Jesus be baptized by John? I'm glad you asked. In John's baptism, it not only identifies the sinner, it not only identifies the confessor, but John's baptism identifies the Savior. In verse 14, we see John make this confession. He says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John recognized that his baptism was a baptism of repentance, a turning from sin. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, the sinless one, the one who had come down and from eternity to pass and, and stepped in to human flesh through the incarnation, the God-man, why would you come needing to be baptized? You don't need this baptism. He understands that Jesus is sinless and he is guiltless. He is not the one in need of turning. Beloved, had Jesus needed this baptism like you and I would need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, then everything that Jesus did is blown. Because Hebrews tells us that he's able to, uh, he has endured the temptation of sin just like we have, that we endure temptation yet without sin. Had Jesus committed one sin, that would have disqualified him to be our Savior. He would not have been the, the sinless Lamb of God. John knows this, and he says, no, if anything, as much as I have been preaching, as much as I have been teaching, all these people are, are listening to me. I have some piety. I, 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 I've lived in the wilderness. I, I've given up the uh, extravagance of this world. I, I'm living for you alone. But still, if anyone needs to be baptized, it's me. See, that's a word in there for us. Because often we come to know Jesus Christ and we start going to church and we start doing the Christian thing. And we begin to believe, believe that somehow we're uh, above certain sins or we're above someone else who has this or that struggle, and we begin to think we are holy and we are acceptable to God in and of ourselves, that we forget where we came from. Beloved, don't forget where you came from. If you ever forget where you came from, then you will not appreciate where God has brought you. You will never be able to appreciate the goodness of the gospel. But if John is able to say, no, I ain't the one. You, you should be baptized in me, then certainly we can walk in humility before the Lord and say, Lord, had it not been for you on my side, where would I be? But Jesus responds. He doesn't give him a, a long, drawn-out answer. He just simply says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's why. To fulfill all righteousness. What does Jesus mean, fulfill all righteousness? He's talking about their, not just right living. He's talking about the entire 
process by which righteousness is secured for us. See, understand, when you confess your sins, when you receive forgiveness of your sin, it's like having a bank account and you were overdrawn. Anybody ever overdraw their bank account? Like you was negative. You paying fees on top of fees on top of fees because you ain't got money in the bank and withdrawals are steadily being made. So when we confess our sins, uh, it's like the bank wiping away all those overdrawn payments. It, it removes all that negative balance, but it brings your bank account to zero. Zero. I have been forgiven of my sins. But there's another aspect of salvation. Because not only does Jesus forgive our sins, he imputes his righteousness on top of ours. So no longer do we have a zero in our bank account, but we have a credit. And we can't even put a number to that credit. We just say J-E-S-U-S. -S. So Jesus is saying, in order for righteousness to be imputed into your bank account, your, your bank account has been overdrawn since the day you were born. And not only do I give the forgiveness of sins, but I'm going to give you some righteousness in your bank account so that you can stand face to face with the Father, clean, pure, and holy. This is what God talks about when he says, be ye holy for I am holy. See, God is now looking for halfway people. God is not looking for people who kind of get it. God is not looking for people who do right most of the time. God is looking for sinless perfection. God is looking for the person who, who has no sin, that is blameless, that has never done anything wrong. And you say, well, how, how can I go to heaven? So righteousness will be fulfilled because when the life of Christ is applied to your life, no longer does the father see our nasty, dirty, broken lives, but he sees his son. And because the son is fully righteous, those in Christ receive that same righteousness as Christ Jesus. Beloved, in a sense, you are as righteous as you will ever be. You like me? Because of what Jesus has already accomplished, you are as righteous as you will ever be. For those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. So the sanctification process is pretty much just trying to live up to who we already are. This is what Jesus is talking about. And the way that it takes place is that the sins of this world is placed upon him. He bears the weight of our sin. He bears our brokenness and takes it to the cross where it is crucified and placed into the grave. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that, watch this, the righteous requirement of the law might be what? Fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus is fulfilling righteousness in you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin 
to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This righteousness of God in us, in these earthen vessels, these broken bodies. You, you mean the righteousness of God can live within me? Beloved, if you never thought anything of yourself, then consider the one who lives in you for the one who has confessed their sin and trusted in Jesus. Your value does not come from who you are or what you bring to the table. Our value is because Jesus has purchased us with his blood. Galatians 3.13 reminds us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus is baptized that he may fulfill all righteousness, that he may complete the, the plan, and he identifies with us. He, he, he becomes like us. Though sin is not in him, he bears sin, and in doing so, he identifies with us that we may be identified with him. This fulfills all obedience. This fulfills the scriptures as Jesus is the new Israel, the one who was fully able to obey every command, every statute, yet without sin. From this realization, Matthew then writes for us in verses 16 through 17, watch this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Beloved, those are sweet words. As Jesus has identified himself with us, now the Father identifies him as his Son. And it says the heavens were open. In, in Scripture, whenever, th whenever something significant was about to take place, there are times where we see, and the heavens open up. Something significant is taking place. We see Stephen as he is stoned. He looks up, and the heavens open up, and he sees the Savior. This is significant because from that persecution, the gospel was spread. And from this baptism, the Holy Spirit would now anoint the ministry of Jesus. He would now anoint Jesus in order that he would minister and that he would be the, uh, the one, the sinless lamb for our sins. And not only do we see that the heavens open and the spirit of God comes down. Understand this. Just a quick side note. Understand that no ministry actually takes place apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and anoints Jesus before the work begins. Beloved, in, in your life and in my life, sometimes we want to get busy from the Lord, but, but sometimes we have to sit before the Lord in order that he may fill us, that we may go in his strength and not our own. It's, we always got good ideas. Oh, we should do this and we should do that. But have you sat down and prayed? And ask the Lord to guide you by the power of his Holy Spirit and to equip you for the journey. 
God is equipping his son for the journey. And, and, and then the words come and the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Here in this text, we have an apologetic for the Trinity. Because here in the same place at the same time, we have the Father, we have the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All in one place, kicking off this ministry on our behalf, yet for his glory. Don't you know that the triune God is working on behalf of his people? The Father is working, the, the Son is working, and the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf. So, so understand that we are not less than. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Why are we so discouraged? Why are we so eorish? Oh, woe is me. Why are we so torn down? When God is for us, who really can be against us? If the triune God is working on your behalf, on your job, yeah, you don't like your job, yeah, your boss get on your nerves, turn it over to the Lord. Yeah, your marriage is, is, is struggling, have you turned it over to the Lord? You may have a straight child or, or, or something going on. Have you turned it on over to the triune God to work on your behalf? God is working. So we see in this baptism, Jesus was baptized so the son would be identified with us. And beloved, like Israel, we've come into this world needing a new identity. We've come into this world rebelling against God. We've come into this world with our own agenda. And the truth is, even after we become confessors, we still fall short. We still fall into sin. And there are seasons in our life where we just struggle and so often in those seasons of struggle in our life, instead of uh, pursuing God, we begin to pull out our fake IDs and act like everything's all right. Like all th everything's all good. Like we're not struggling with a particular sin. That we're not struggling with a particular issue that, that pain doesn't live at our house. But beloved, it's in those moments of brokenness that that we must remember that if our identity is firmly hidden in Christ, then the Father has already spoken over us. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You get that? If your life is hidden in Christ, you no longer have to work to try to be accepted by God. You no longer have to be so focused on what you ain't got and remember what you already have. God has spoken over his people. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with his people. So that means that we don't have to walk around with all this guilt. We don't have to walk around with all this condemnation, but we walk around as grace cases and we say, glory be to God that he saved me from myself and he gave me a new walk and he gave me a new talk and he gave me a new identity. God is pleased with his people. And beloved, you may be here today 
And God has been using someone or something to make you ready for the Messiah. God has maybe, he may have been using a tough boss, a hard-headed child, a lack of provision in order to make you ready for the one to come. Beloved, my cry, my, my call to you today is to give up your fake ID. Stop trying to act like you got access and receive real access through the Son, Jesus Christ. Won't you receive Christ Jesus today? And it's as simple as those who went out to John the Baptist. Confess your sin. Agree with God about how he feels about your sin. Ask God to come into your heart to, to forgive you of your sin and to help you to change, to turn from rebellion, to turn from disobedience and turn towards Jesus Christ, the son in whom he's well pleased. But you may be here today and you, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you continue to walk in guilt and you continue to walk in condemnation. Beloved, and may I just ask that you would set your eyes on verse 17. You need to go home and read this over and over again. Those in Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your glorious word. Thank you for your presence. And I ask that you would give us that assurance that you are pleased with your people. Father, I ask that you would remove all guilt, all doubt, and that we would rest in the fact that when we repent and turn towards you, we are baptized by your Holy Spirit, identified as sinners, yet identified as confessors. And Father, I ask that we would look to Jesus today. May you free one from the shackles and the bondage of sin. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.